This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to our podcast. This is Camp Hacker, episode 121, recorded on the 8th of January, 2020. On today's show, adventure programming and training. This Go Camp Pro podcast is sponsored in part by Rad Tags. Designed by a former camp director and owner, Rad Tags is about connecting people to who they are, the camp they love, and the accomplishments they experience there. Rad Tags bracelets and tags help your camp community stay connected to their happiest place. Find out what Rad Tags has to offer your camp at zoic.ca slash rad. Also, don't forget to visit Rad Tags at the ACA National Camp Conference. Be one of the first 50 people to booth 522 for a special gift from Rad Tags and Go Camp Pro. Rad Tags, be and be known. If you've gotten even one good thing from the Camp Hacker podcast, we would be really grateful if you rated and subscribed to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. There's an easy way to do that too. Just head over to ratethispodcast.com slash camp. That's ratethispodcast.com slash camp. Thanks for letting your awesome out, Camp Mavericks. We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker show. Hello, Camp Pros, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I run a summer camp marketing and consulting agency here in Canada that works with camps from around the world, and I help camps translate what they do so that more families understand and want to send their children to summer camp. And my name is Gabrielle Rail. I'm one of the camp directors at Camp Waro. Camp Waro is an all-girls camp in the Laurentian Mountains, and we focus on creating a positive female community, and we do that while speaking French and English. Hi, I'm Joe Richards from Pierce Williams Christian Center. I'm the executive director here. Pierce Williams is the United Church of Canada summer camp and retreat facility, and I play the banjo. Hey, everyone. My name is Phil Brown. I am a lead trainer at High Five Adventure Learning Center based out of Brattleboro, Vermont. Excellent, Phil. We're so grateful to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So uh, tell us, first of all, how you got connected into the direct industry and, uh, and, and what your, your passion for it is. Yeah, so for me, the start was uh, summer camp. Uh, in England, that's where I'm originally from. That's what the sound is. Um, I, in, at, at, at college, at university, um, I was interacted with a person who worked at a, an organization, CCUSA, um, which connected me with the world of summer camp. I was actually uh, training or my degree was in teaching. So I, it, my mindset was like, I want to work with uh, some kids from another population that I'm not familiar with. So I thought, hey, you know, summer camp could be an option for me. Um, I ended up in a, a camp called New York YMCA camp um, based out of Huguenot, New York. And I must admit my first impression, my first thought was, oh, I'm going to work with in, in the city. I think right. it's the same as a lot of like even yeah. Americans who don't realize that New York is bigger than the city. And yeah. so I ended up, you know, in the, in the low foothills of the Catskill mountains and, um, at a, at a camp there that had a large property. Um, and I worked mainly with older, uh, boys, the older boy camp. And I just fell in love with the concept of working at working with kids in an environment that they were excited to be in, where they were learning about themselves, growing, the change, especially those kids who were coming at this one. This camp had uh, did two week sessions and but you could opt in to stay the full eight weeks. So there were some kids who were there who the transformation that they experienced in that eight weeks was so incredible to me from the start to the end. 
that I, I fell in love with the, the concept of being able to, to really make positive change in a kid's life. I, my degree was in English literature. So I was mm -hmm. training to be an English teacher. Yep. And I think I did a, I ended up doing a year of teaching back in England between summer camp uh, uh, jobs. And I just found it, the pull of summer camp, you know, was just too strong. <laughs> I remember being called back and said, Hey, would you like to come back? And I thought, wow. I've got a job now, so this is challenging, but I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm not in college yeah. But I ended up coming back, and then after that, I was asked – I was very fortunate. I, the camp that I ended up at um, had year-round programming, did outdoor yeah. education. And mm. so they had the capacity to be able to give me full-time work, which was very exciting. And yeah. at, the, at the time, I was, you know, 21, 22. So the choice wasn't a particularly challenging one for me. I thought, eh. If I don't make it work, I'll go home. Um, and I just fell in love with it. I ended up uh, living and working at that same place for seven years. I met my wife there. I yeah. lived there. I worked there. I got married on the property. Yes. Um, so similar stories oh, cool. to a lot of people who have, who have entered the camp world. It's yeah. the kind of incestuous nature of camp that everyone you know, ends up together. Um, yeah. But it's because you see each other through the highs and the lows. And through that, and then I, my transition to working at High Five was that the, the camp had an incredible challenge course program, had a great adventure program. And uh, I ended up doing a lot of training, formal training, coming to High Five for my training, mm -hmm. both at a, a, a level one and then a level two and then a challenge course manager, and uh, which was graciously paid for by the camp that I worked at. And I was there for so long and I happened to meet someone from High Five and said, this is a, a full-time job? I can do this for a living? Already, yeah. it was a shock that I was working at camp for a living. Yeah. It was like, what, trying to explain what you do to your family <laughs> and your parents, you know, when you work at an outdoor red site. Um, but then eventually ended up coming to High Five and, you know, i am now been in the States 14 years and married, got a kid and, you know, I just loving this kind of world where I get to work outside with populations. And I yeah. feel like the work we do, adventure education, experiential education, similar to the camps, we have a lot of pressure on us to be able to make really positive change that, you know, school systems can't do. You know, right. phys ed in school is the other area where they say, oh, adventure program, that's going to be your area. Social emotional learning, that's yeah. phys ed. But summer camp has that, you know, summer camp has to fix all of the ills. Right. Um, in, in that, in that, and I think that they possibly can. So that's where I get excited. And that's probably my extended experience of how I ended yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we're, we're grateful to have you. Yeah. And uh, because we knew Phil was going to be here, we decided that we would spend some time talking about challenge courses and training uh, to be able to, to, to draw on his experience. Uh, oddly enough, I had a just last night was speaking with a bunch of um, people that I'm, they're taking a course that I'm working on uh, who are from the business world. And I was explaining the principles of, of challenge courses and the idea that um, this is putting everyone at an equal position mm -hmm. where it's a challenge for everyone. No one's coming into this as being an expert and yeah. um, things are designed to, 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 to give everybody a, a playing field. That's the same um, and work on that. So it's interesting that we get a, a chance to talk about that today. Constantly, they're the they're the uh, consistently they're the the great equalizer. You know, you can yes. take you know any group, no matter what it is, and you bring them into that environment, and then it equalizes the field a little bit. Right. Working on the exact same plane. Yeah, right on. 
So, Cap, what is the value of having a, a challenge course to to borrow and doing adventure programming stuff for the the, the girls and the young women that you work with? Well, I, I'd, I'd like to start with the Quebec Camping Association. Um, the Quebec Camping Association partnered with the Ministry of Education and Higher Learning in Quebec to sponsor, I think it's about, I think it was 31 camps in, across Quebec to upgrade their challenge courses. And the reason why is really what you just both were talking about, is the, the, the filling the gap of uh, what camps can do um, and schools can't. And one, one of the things that the Quebec Camp Association recognized that was true to our history was low ropes courses and um, being in nature, working together, and then the value of, of processing after the, the activity that they did. So just, just in that, just knowing that an association partnered, um, I think they raised uh, close to $200,000 to, to help with these camps and, and develop the, these programs and then also train the staff to run the program so that they're, they were used uh, properly. So yeah. it, for, for us in Quebec, it's a, it's a high value program and sometimes is overlooked um, when you're looking at shiny new climbing walls, a rock climbing walls or, or, um, or archery or whatever you're, you're looking into a zip line. Um, the, the team aspect uh, is so, so high. And at Waro, I think that that it, it, it's it's anywhere from a very very simple task to something that is challenging that other people can watch and encourage encourage you to do. But um, at the very very bare minimum, it's stuff that people don't do anywhere else. You can't find this anywhere else, and that's that piece with the team aspect is um, is extremely valuable. Right. Uh, Joe, before I ask you some specifics, Phil, I wonder if you have a, a working, ready-to-go definition of, of adventure programming challenge courses, whatever, however you want to define it these days. Yeah, and I think that there's a, a good distinction as well, and it's you know what Gabby was referencing, that it doesn't have to be this big, giant course. I think that sometimes when people say the word challenge course, they, I think, sometimes jump into that mindset of a zip tour or... Um, right. something very, very high in the air. And I, and I think that the, the challenge component can just be the, 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 the opportunity to stretch oneself into a period where they're having conversation that can be tough. So yeah. sometimes activities can just be those. So I think for adventure education, it's, it's always been that concept of uh, creating environments, creating experiences where people are allowed to stretch themselves into what we would call either the stretch, the challenge, or the growth zone. Um, in experiential education, there's called the experiential learning cycle. And in that, there's concepts around how we learn. Um, we, do an, we have an experience we're able to gain learning from that experience and then that guides the next experience we have. So, um, and I think that there's a misconception sometimes with adventure that the, it means skydiving, whitewater rafting, kayaking. I was once introduced at a conference as the kayaking guy and I said, no, we don't do kayaking. <laughs> We're an adventure learning center, but that's not, that's not our model. Our model is creating experiences that allow for, you know, individual and team growth. Um, and I think the adventure component is the challenge course. That's an adventurous experience. And that's unique. When we bring groups, I often, one of the first questions I ask people is to define the word adventure. How do you define it? What do you say as an adventurous experience? 
And if you really boil down an adventurous experience, it's, you know, you're doing something that's unknown, unique, just like Abby said, it's something you've never done before, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a learning outcome there. And it might be something that creates a little bit of tension, a little bit of stretch for you. But that could be speaking in public. You know, sometimes we get groups who will say, show hands who wants to speak or to demonstrate. We just did a high five, let's say, you know, we did a wild turkey handshake and said, oh, who would like to do the wild turkey handshake in front of the group? Well, a lot of people don't want to do that. That for them is an adventure. So adventure education, I think, has that mindset that um, we're stretching you. We're allowing you to grow, but it doesn't have to be um, whitewater rafting, kayaking. Because the origin point from all of this stuff was stuff like outward bound trips, where you would be taken on multi-day excursions and they would be adventurous. And it just happens to be that the challenge course is a tool for our learning, just like a game, a fleece ball, a rubber chicken, all of those components could still be tools in the, in the repertoire of adventure education. Right. And I'm thinking back to some of the origins and where this stuff entered the mindset of uh, outdoor educators and camp directors, it also comes out of sailing training too and big ships sailing training. And and um, before there was um, ECCT and any sort of standardization um, and kind of the thoughtfulness around us, there was ebertisms and the stuff that was built out of sailing training big ship sailing mm-hmm. training that uh, had been brought to camp two different points too. And if you go to some old challenge courses, you'll see elements that have a very uh, military feel to them, just like right. a military obstacle yep. course, because that was a lot mm-hmm. of the ideas were from there. I was recently at a, at yeah. a school that had a commando crawl along their ceiling, which was, that was that position. Now we're, we're, we've changed the models now to yeah. fit much more team development and we've taken away some of that, but that's certainly where they came from. Right. So, Joe, for you, what 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 value do you you see as a, a camp director in in investing the time and, and finances in this? I think that I see the value in investing. We we do not have a course. Uh, when I arrived, we had a low ropes course, a low ropes challenge course, and uh, slowly it has. Um, become not almost non-existent and one of the one of the reasons is is that it's it's this idea that team building and portable initiatives are actually more useful in our setting because we change where camp happens at Pierce Williams so there's a couple of different sites and we do school we do trips to schools and we do trips to churches and so anything that we can take and and take that same learning experience um, and sort of give it in a way that is that is um, that is portable, so that it's not them having to come to a specific location. Because I, I think the value is investing in investing in equipment that can be used in multiple ways, um, and that doesn't need to be inspected every year by somebody. Even if you know how to build it, you're not qualified to inspect your own. And, and that's, the, that's one of the really big challenges, right? In, insurance is a, has always been a, a huge concern for some of these um, courses and, and climbing walls. And, and so we've shied away from it before my time. And, but the value I find is in investing in simple things that our staff can use numerous different ways as well. So it's not just one nitro crossing or one whale watch it's an idea that they have a series of platforms that they can use for any 
any variety of things. So I, I think there's a huge value in it. And, and I do, I do uh, staff development, staff construction is a session that we call it. Um, we do it for an hour every day during staff training and it's teamwork, team play, group initiatives, because I, if you do not invest in that with your staff, you are missing the opportunity to see how they, to help them come together as a team so that in the future during the summer that they don't fail you miserably when they have to come together as a team under other auspicious circumstances. So there's a huge value in it. I just, um, we've shied away from building physical elements. Right. And I think there's, I think there's a pitfall of jumping into the mindset that you have to have these highs. Like when I, mm-hmm. when I train, um, you know, I recently was at a, a challenge course that I was training at, at a camp. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was trying to train their staff to not use their zip, yeah. to not use their giant swing, to not use their pamper jump, uh, you know, leap of faith in the, the, because I want people to get better at the, the using that as a tool. It's a tool. It's not the, the end be all and end all of your program. And that's a problem when I see, um, camps, when we, when we have clients call us and they want a challenge course, sometimes they'll come with this list. This is the things I need. Yeah. And what we do, and this is something that I think high five does really well is that we, uh, do a site visit where both a builder one of our construction team and also a trainer myself, a facilitator joins in that site visit and we ask questions about what the goals are. Because if, if, if we hear from the executive director of this camp that they want it as a marketing ploy, potentially, where they want this very visual thing right in the middle of the field and it's to take photos of and really demonstrate and they want every single kid to go on it. That misses the mark from our perspective. It's an educational tool and it could be used that way. And they could save their dollars just investing in really quality facilitative training, facilitation training, and negate the need for a climbing tower or a zip or even lows that are, you know, element specific. And so I think that that's from our perspective. That's why we're an educational org. And I would add the other caveat for listeners that we're a a professional vendor member of ACCT, but we are one of, uh, I think, only four vendor members that is purely educational focused. We don't build aerial uh, adventure parks or zip tours. So for us, those challenge courses are tools. And so if we can invest the time and energy into a camp to say, you know what, you don't need a zip. You don't need to spend $30,000 on a climbing tower. You need to spend 1200 bucks for a couple of days of quality training that I can teach your staff how to better frame an activity better run the activity and better reflect upon it, then, then that's the golden opportunity right there. They don't need this course. And I think people jump into the pitfall, jumping into, I'm going to do, spend a lot of money. I just got a huge grant. I'm going to buy that. No, no, no. Invest your money into quality training and then let the course come after. And Phil, I think that goes to a larger challenge that I, under, I only discovered after I left the camp I grew up at because the camp I grew up at had no nothing. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, like zero programming. And so when I went specifically to a private camp that had everything mm. from ski boats to an yeah. outdoor gymnasium to right to a ropes course to some gyro thing that I got stuck <laughs> in one day to right. Yeah. The, the challenge is, is that the staff rely on the thing. So Correct. be it canoeing or be it sailing or which are valuable. But if you're not teaching the human component of those elements, it's just, you're not using the tool to its full. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree. I think that if you have, 
high because I get staff, trust me, I've been here 15 years and I get staff members who are like, why don't you get a high rope course? And I'm like, mm -mm -mm. there are other people, <laughs> there are other people who do that way better than we are ever going to do it. It's the same reason I'm not going to start leading canoe trips. There are other camps that can do it a ton better. And I think that's the challenge that a lot of camp people have, be it owners or, or executive directors, is they think they need it because somebody else has it. Yeah. They think they're in constant competition. Mm -hmm. When if you just provide a much better structured, facilitated, personal experience that still gets to the same outcome, I think mm -hmm. that there's a, a huge value in that as well. And I have the benefit that I, in, in the summer months, in that three-week window of training, I see a good number, you know, a, a dozen camps that I go to. And I think the, the, the piece that sticks in my brain of those, those places that are great is not how much money they invested in a pole course, not how much of this thrill riding, incredible visual they have, but it's how much time they spend on, do they want their staff to be really great facilitators? And that's a huge difference. If they're getting, if every kid is going down the zip, they like the zip because it, you know, as in terms of operating it, you know, you can run those kids through it, takes the time, but it's not very powerful. It could be individually powerful to an individual few people. They might have these incredible experiences, but there might be people who don't. And in terms of you creating a cohesive team component to your program, you know, you want to focus on team development. A zip isn't necessarily going to result in you having a more cohesive team. It might have this incredible experience that you're offering, but that experience is, is, is trumped uh, by, you know, is, is the trumping factor instead of it being, oh, I have this really functioning team. Spend more time on ground and ground initiatives and team development programming than the challenge course. So that would be my thought. Um, and then build on that. But mm. just like you said, it's going to be, it's a, it's a bigger investment to have a challenge course than just by building a challenge course as well. And I think that's one of the questions is like the costs involved. Training has to be a big component of that constant yearly inspections and also gear that retires and, and, and you have to refresh and that has to be built into a budget too. Those things are awesome. And of course we build those. So of course we want to uh, remind people that that's, yeah, those are great, but I would prefer people to invest in quality programming and facilitation. Right. Cap, for you folks, what are the sort of things that, what are the sort of transformations or big things that your kids are able to accomplish in terms of their own development through the adventure programming work that you folks do? Mm. I think... I think going back to the to the training bit that Phil was talking about um, and Joe was talking about, I think with our with our staff members and the train that we do, um, that helps our staff members in all of our activities to teach them to break down uh, the life skills that a camper is learning at archery to debrief um, with the campers at the end of um, of of kayaking. Uh, what was your proudest moment uh when did you notice the difference between you stopping and you starting um all of these aspects and i think having the adventure program or us it's an abortism course really on camp and we have different places on camp so that's not just in one location that staff members can you know use this log to, to you know to to do an activity with with campers and they don't have to go all the way to the abortism course to do it 
But I think that it, it has a purpose for our campers in the sense that it's a concentrated area of group development. And our campers choose to do that activity. It's not, um, it's not something that a whole cabin group will do together. This is a choice that the campers choose that they want to develop their own leadership skills, their team, their team building skills. And I think it helps with the, the philosophy within our organization that this happens everywhere. This is just a concentrated area that it can continue to happen. And I think what's really interesting for us is that we will have campers that are eight years old with campers that are 15 years old and they choose to participate in this and they're not getting levels and they're not in a play in front of everybody and they're not getting, um, uh, you know, arts and craft to bring back home. They're really in going for the pure enjoyment of challenging themselves and connecting with other people. But I think that if you only have adventure in your camp in one specific location and you're not bringing that philosophy throughout camp, then we're, we're missing, um, we're missing the mark a little bit. And I think that just as a training program for your staff, that's really helpful to use that so that they can spread it out. But for me, it's really the conversation and the reflection at the end of a program or an experience. That's a, one of the uh, important sticking points. Yes, um, yes, yes. So that for, for us, that's, that's the piece. But I, I love that, that our kids or any kids choose to do this and it's, it's something that they enjoy and um, they feel good about and they celebrate together uh, of all ages. Right. There, were, there was a place that I worked at uh, that used to do this thing called mandatory fun time. Right. And anytime you combine the word mandatory <laughs> with fun, it's not fun. <laughs> so, you know, the concept of creating choice is, is important. And I think as well, if you think I, I, I would challenge most camps to be able to say, I think they already do adventure programming, ed, experiential education. They may not even, they may not term it that. If, it, if at your camp you bring your kids into your cabin at the end of the day and you do like a Vespers or a Rose Fawn, uh, you know, concept of a conversation about what did you enjoy about the day? What you didn't, you're reflecting. And so that is a component of experiential education. And what you said, Gabby, as well, the connection piece, one of those core values of experiential ed is connection before content. You can never expect us to get onto the deep content until the group is connected anyway. So camps have the fortune that they have the time which a lot of places don't have. Schools always struggle with like, oh, I've got 42 minutes. How can I be able to solve all of this in 42? Whereas a camp has, you know, multiple days, they're living together to be able to connect. And so it has a great capacity for bigger growth areas. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, and with what Joe was saying with the, the paring down and putting the emphasis on the experience and not on the equipment, um, sometimes having the equipment and training your staff almost backwards from using the equipment to have an experience and then paring that down to something mm -hmm. even smaller and then paring that down to even something smaller, like a walk from the cabin to the dining mm -hmm. room. And how, how can you use that experience and sort of reverse engineer it for your staff members to just get into that deeper thinking of, you know, when you're walking from point A to point B, you can ask questions. When mm -hmm. you're walking from point A to point B, you can also act like ninjas and try to get that nobody can see you. And there's, there's all of these opportunities that you can do without equipment. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that somebody had asked me, you know, how much does it cost to, to build this? I say, well, how, how much do you have? You know, how much do you want to spend? You don't need... If, if you have $50, let's figure that out. If you have mm -hmm. $200, let's figure that out. And, and not to, to, 
to to get overwhelmed by it. But mm-hmm. how can you sort of maybe reverse engineer through experiences, but get staff members to the point where they're able to see opportunity in everything that's happening at camp and have those conversations and discussions uh, with their kids. Yeah, the, the camps that struggle with, the, with creating an adventure program are the ones that just jump in too deep, too quick. They purchase something massive. They're trying to mitigate risk. Um, it becomes a scary area. They didn't give enough training to their staff, so now the staff right. are super nervous using it. And I think if they just started creating an idea of a program, an adventure program, you've got this hour block that you're going to do team development with your kids. That's a great start. There doesn't have to be this big investment. But then if you get this program, then you build on it and slowly go through phases. There are a lot of camps that we've built challenge courses in multiple phases. We've budgeted out for them. We help create a curriculum. You know, this is the start. We're going to give you a game bag and I'm going to do a couple of days of training. Maybe five down, years down the line, we now have a, a climbing tower and we have a low course. And now we have a step sequence that we can take you through where we can say, this is the start and this is the end. But if you jump all the way to the end and the only thing you purchased was a zip, the only thing you purchased was a climbing tower. That's very challenging to operate in a, in a sequence. How are you setting your kids up for success when you jump them straight into a zip or a challenge course or they're straight to climbing at height? We do a workshop. We do a workshop called The Struggle is Real, where it's a concept is how are you preparing your kids to struggle? Because they're going to struggle at height. So if you haven't prepped those participants to struggle at height if the first time they struggle is when they climb and they've got all their peers looking at them and they're embarrassed because they can't do it that that's not a great you're, you're only going to create some negative experiences not necessarily leading to positive experiences so trying to figure out how are you properly sequencing a program to fit the needs don't jump for the big stuff because the big ticket items let's build a program and then build from there and that's where that training is super essential super important i can't expect a a new hire, an 18-year-old, to be able to understand or be able to run this element to the best of its ability at this level. Maybe it's going to be that a return and staff is going to be doing that. Maybe there's been some built-in staff development plan and this person is now ready. But having sort of a sequence is so helpful. Well, and I have seen a, I, I've seen a camp that I, when we toured it, and this was two summers ago, I walked by more defunct high elements than mm-hmm. there were actual high yeah. elements because they didn't want to they didn't want to expend the expense to take down the elements <laughs> but as we walked by we were touring with we were touring with the young guy he did a great job he he wasn't the person we were supposed to be touring with in the end but um and we're like okay well what's this element he goes oh we don't use that anymore and and it's literally i no word of a lie phil we walked by almost 30 different elements that day at this one camp. And yeah. it was bizarre, beautiful. And I know why it exists that way. I, yeah. I know the history of it, but it is this, this post-apocalyptic. Ongoing, yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was because, yeah. And they're all high up in the, and the, and the problem is as oh. well, if they're built into trees, we don't even recommend you would take them down because an arborist is not going to want to put a chainsaw to a tree that's got metal in it. So yeah. often oh. stapled climbs, you just have to accept that they're just, they're going to disappear as the bark grows over the staple. You're not pulling yep. that stuff out and the cables are going to just years from now, yeah. somebody with a chainsaw is going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the point. We leave little uh, traps there for some unsuspecting future arborists. Uh, but yeah, if I, there are, there are a number of courses that we are, we also have built that, you know, at schools and stuff who got a big pep grant and, um, 
often as well, there's these big grants come in, a big, oh, look at all this money I got donated from an anonymous donor or an alumni. Wow, what am I going to use this for? But there was no intentionality between how I was going to use it. I'm just going to build it. And not only do you need to have trained staff, but you also need to have champions. So we refer to those camps that really have successful programs as they have a champion on board. And that's some, it's not a staff member who's going to leave. That's a staff member who knows is going to stick around for a while. And sometimes a pitfall can be that you find an excitable staff member who wants to be trained in this field and they start a program up and then they leave. So rather than having, because summer camp has so constant turnover, retention is, you know, you're never going to retain them for decades unless they have a full-time job. What I always recommend is getting a program director or a director be the person who gets the initial training, gets the bug, gets the excitement, because they're going to be the ones that can continue to invest the program. Because no doubt that camp at some point lost their excitable staff members, those who saw that as beneficial. And then they didn't have enough budgeted for continuous training. So their skills start to deteriorate. They get nervous, which is completely fair and expected that you shouldn't be as, oh, I'm going to stick a kid up there. Help. Yeah, no way. I'm not going to do that. And then they have to be, you know, really comfortable in the environment. And then when they leave, then those courses just disappear. And also I think it comes from uh, equipment that retires as well. And if there's no budget in, in your plans for replacing equipment after 10 years, most harnesses, ropes, helmets, anything that's a nylon has a 10 year uh, expectancy, a life expectancy. It's not going to poof away like a, a witch to water, but it is going to not be able to be used. And when, if you don't have a budget set aside, then suddenly you lost all the equipment to run the element and you didn't have the money to reinvest. So from that perspective, I always recommend to places that you get in a habit of buying free harnesses a year. And that way you're never going to ever run out of harnesses and you don't have to have a massive budget. It's an assigned budget that you can plan for. And that way you don't ever get into the position of you bought 20 harnesses and then 10 years later, all of the harnesses are retired and you have to buy 20 more, which is suddenly a big expenditure. One thing I want to pick up on that, that all three of you have said and really is such a huge, um, it's a, it's a, I think it's a big issue. I think it's something that... Um, that many camps aren't handling as well as I like. It's something that really bothers me. Um, and Phil alluded to the idea of sequencing being that you start with activities that allow um, the group to grow and the trust to build, and then you build up to some of these things. And, and really the high ropes, the big challenges up there are meant to be at the end of a sequence where a lot of time has been invested in the communication skills within the group, the trust building within the group, and um, and, and people understand that they could say, I can't do this, or I can't do this right now, and, and people will be there to support them. And I think those camps that just run kids like a mill through all of their elements can do um, as much damage to those children's development psychology by by forcing them, by embarrassing them, as Phil's describing, how terrible for a kid who can't get off the ground on a climbing wall in front of all their peers. Um, and if if those peers haven't been fully informed and had the practice in being encouraging and being a part of something without making fun of somebody, et cetera, it just can be a terrible experience. And I think that that's incredibly important that what what everybody's been saying today if you are considering this or want to 
um, professionalized in its own way, your own adventure programming, your challenge um, programming that you have there, the first step is to make sure that you give enough time to the groups to to get ready to take on the big challenges. And certainly, as everybody said, you have to invest in the training and the equipment because I think you can do a lot of damage to kids. And I think that when we run into um, complaints from parents or kids that don't want to come back, I often think that there are so many elements of that that could be handled by staff being better trained in facilitating things, not pushing kids um, or pushing kids in the right way or pushing kids in the wrong way versus pushing kids in the right way to take on new challenges. And that stuff just uh, it terrifies me. And frankly, is just heartbreaking in terms of what the industry has to offer. I think the, there's, you know, there's the concept of comfort zones. And um, I think when I'm, training you let's say you you've just built a challenge course it's got highs lows most often we recommend you should be having as a minimum four days of training the first day is purely facilitation training you know there'll be staff that coming for this ropes training and we won't touch a rope until the second day and they're like what are we doing so the key piece is framing them to be prepped for understanding how important their job is. I think people absolutely love challenge courses. And the reason they love them if they've run them is because of the incredible positive impact we have on people. And I have so many stories of incredible moments where I've brought people to tears by the life-changing experience they had. And we probably all have stories of, even outside the challenge course, but adventure programming, where you've seen this really positive change. But with that, the double-edged sword of that is that absolutely you can create negative experiences too if you push the person too far. I think terminology semantics is an issue when people say, I'm pushing someone out of their comfort zone. I need to push you out of the comfort zone. The push piece is an aggressive term. I'm going to push you out. As a facilitator, the, con the word facilitation means to make easy. My entire job is to make it easier for you to get yourself into out of that comfort zone. I shall never push you out of it. I'm going to create environments that allow you to feel safe to step outside of it. And that's a different theory. I'm sure it just did the camera. I don't know if people, it's, it's just a donut. But the, the concept is that that middle circle there is our comfort zone. Is that this is a very basic version, but that, that would be, we're really comfortable. Everything from here to the outside parameter is our stretch zone and our challenge zone and our growth zone. But the key piece to reference this is the, the exterior circle. And we call that the panic zone. And if you bring a participant to the point of panic, and we sort of understand what that might look like, um, the only learning that they have is, I will never do that again. That's the, that's the learning outcome. All throughout the comfort zone, right. they're learning. They're learning about themselves. They're stretching. But as soon as they hit that panic, the only thing they're learning is they're never going to do that again. And they're so, so, we have so much responsibility. It's like the Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility that we're bringing them into a risk activity that we don't ever want to bring them to that point. And so we need to be better at being able to read our groups and assessing our groups. Are they ready? And there are a number of activities you can do to, as a litmus test to see if your kids are ready to the highs. And what I always challenge facilitators to be able to do, and that's why I like directors to be in the trainings, is to say that if, if you ever get to the point where your, your kids aren't ready, that you do not do the challenge course, that you have the capacity, that you have the backing from your directors to be able to say, no, not everyone goes on the zip. You as a facilitator should be able to have that power to be able to say that. Our director, our executive director, has a line that says, 
when in doubt, play volleyball. And that's in no disparaging thing to volleyball. Volleyball is fun. But to say that if you doubt the readiness, do something else, anything else, do something that's not going to create a moment where you bring him into panic. If I know that every single one of my kids is terrified of heights, I'm not going to say, all right, we're going to climb the highest one right now. I'm, I'm not reading my group. I'm bending. And th- this is the hard part in summer camp is that a lot of staff are new. This may be their first job. And so they're, they're, they find it hard to challenge the authority of their director telling them they have to get everyone on there. So my piece in the training is to try to empower them to make positive decisions, to create positive change, not negative change. And I think that Challenge Course has great potential at both sides. If you incorrectly use something, you can have a catastrophic event, both emotional damage, but also physical damage. It's a risk activity. And so we have to be adequately trained, both on the technical side, can I belay? And I think that's another thing I would say is invest as much money into the facilitation as you do into the safety components of belaying. If you think yeah, belaying is important, then you add and tack another day on that for facilitating and reflection mm-hmm. because emotional safety is as important as physical safety. Um, and it has to be, has to be understood from a camp director's perspective when they're, when they're trying to invest in training that one day to teach people how to belay is not enough. I, I, I would struggle to be able to get people physically ready, but emotionally, they're, they're not going to be there. So it, it is a very powerful tool, but it has a dark side if you are undertrained. Right. This episode of the Camp Hacker Podcast is sponsored by Rad Tags. Rad Tags is outfitting camps with personalized keepsakes that speak without saying a word. Rad Tags allows you to show someone they belong, building a relationship that goes beyond their last day at camp. With the goal of helping camps create awesome recognition and affiliate programs that last beyond the summer, Rad Tags is doing a monthly giveaway for GoCamp Pro listeners. Just email your answer to the following question to matt at gocamp.pro and be entered to win five silicone bracelets with the Rad hand sign. Each month, we'll pick a new winner. This month's question is, what is the longest standing tradition at your camp? How was it started? Don't forget, email your answer to matt at gocamp.pro with Rad Tags contest in the subject line. Also, Rad Tags is coming to ACA National. Be one of the first 50 people to booth number 522 and shout out I'm a GoCamp Pro podcast listener for a special gift from Rad Tags and us at GoCamp Pro. To find out more about how Rad Tags can elevate your camp program, visit zoic.ca slash rad. That's Z-O-I-C ca slash r-a-d rad tags b and b nim joe i wonder for you what would be your advice to folks who are looking to reevaluate challenge programs or to think about investing a big investment in um more bigger challenge stuff like in the actual physical things travis both my my advice would be to really look at the why, right? Start with why. Why do you want it? Just just like Phil said earlier, if if it's because you're trying, you're competing with another camp, they have it, so we need to have it so we can get those kids, you're not doing yourself any favors that way. Just imagine you're not you're not trying to get the kids from that camp to come to your camp. You're trying to get kids to come to camp and parents to, to believe in them. I think the investment part is um, it's this where, where is 
just last week we went through with our staff here a we went through two hours of what do we what does every building need at camp right like what are the maintenance what are the hopes what are the dreams and and when you go through it uh, my office manager says uh, well we need a we need a winterized cabin B and get air conditioning in it and I was like oh that that's great but like how many times have we had the necessity to house 210 people in the dead of winter, right? (laughs) Like who, how many people have requested that? And she's like, well, no. Okay. So, so if we had a hundred thousand dollars, we could invest it elsewhere (laughs) on site. And I think that's the same thing with, with high ropes. I think the, the, the stories that Phil has told, I think they're more prevalent than we think where people get grants or big anonymous donations and they make, they make it, they jump into something. This happens with regular buildings as well, where somebody gives you a million dollars and, and uh, Gary Forrester with the Y in the US used to have, he had an article that I would read every year, but he essentially said, are you ready for a million dollar donation? Because if your board is going to say, let's build a building, well, then that building goes over and you're like, well, we can raise a hundred thousand dollars more than the million dollar cost. But then you have a plan for the upkeep, right? So if I have a million, if I have a hundred thousand dollar grant, I'm not going to build a hundred thousand dollar ropes course. I'm going to build a fifty thousand dollars ropes course and then plan to spend the rest the rest of that fifty thousand on on the yearly upkeep for the next fifty years, mm-hmm. right? Because the ropes course is never going to make itself money, right? It's never going to pay itself back. If you're doing it to to generate income, you need to rethink your business plan. Um, but but it's this idea that you need to you need to set aside at least what you pay to build a course in my mind to for upkeep over the life of that course um, because a course is not going to allow it to, to pay itself back and and I think there's so much more and I'm interested to know what Phil's what the one book Phil would recommend from a team building perspective is because there's a ton I was just thinking that there's a, a book I read I got first in the 80s or early 90s called Bottomless Bag Again. And, <laughs> and there's a whole ropes course building section in the back of that book. And, and, and building a ropes course is not difficult. Building a ropes course to code, to the ACCT codes, is, is more challenging than, than I would do. But it's this idea that you, there's so much you can do that doesn't you don't need to spend that money. And is that the best investment for your campers and your participants to get the benefits that you're seeking, right? And, and that's, I would just really have people evaluate the why. I, yeah. I uh, you know, it's, it's a huge, a huge thing because it's, it's, not a, it's not a money generating program in the end. Um, it's just graphics. You're just adding graphics to your camp. Um, you're not adding any, you know, you're not adding anything dramatically different that they can't get somewhere else. I think to be fair to those camps who do invest or to prioritize mm-hmm. it differently than you do, Joe, I think that there can be incredible experiences for people when they do this properly. And I I take your point that it's hard to make money, make more money because you have a ropes course this year and you didn't have it last year. But I think that there are some incredible experiences that can happen with um, smartly designed, really intentional courses and proper training. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be some, some great benefits to that. I, I had the privilege when I was in Australia, I toured a site near Melbourne that had, uh, they were installing a fully 
accessible ropes, high ropes course. And it blew my mind. It was just a, um, it was just it, one of the most fascinating things because you could literally roll a wheelchair up and they had harnesses for wheelchairs. And I was just like, what? And so it was a, a fascinating look, but I, I agree. If people, I think you can, it depends on your why. It depends on your why. Yeah, so, so many uh, topics brought up I'd love to comment on. But the, uh, the, the, the bottomless bag that you referenced, uh, Carl Ronke, Cows, Tails and Cobras was another book that he came up with where he had blueprints for how to build your own course. We are still coming up on Cows, Tails and Cobra courses that we have to retire because they were built by someone who read the blueprints in the back of that book. Um, but yeah, I think the, the intentionality, the why, you know, Simon Sinek does the start with the why does a wonderful Ted talk on that and some books on that concept. But, you know, I think that's the piece that we always look at from a vendor perspective is yes, challenge courses are phenomenal as long as they're intentionally used. And so when we do a site visit, that's the reason we bring a builder from the pure aesthetics, like, oh, is that tree going to be structurally good? Is this location a good location? But as a trainer perspective, I say, what are your goals? What are you trying to, what's your learning outcomes? And if your learning outcome is to get everyone in the zip, then unfortunately that's not going to work for us because it's not, it doesn't, it's not something that we want to also invest our time and energy into because that's not our mission. And our mission is using that as a tool. And I think coming up with a why is so beneficial. There are also a, some fantastic uh, camps in, in the US that also have been uh, um, pioneering the, uh, the uh, adaptive programming route of being able to bring more participants in. There's a, there was a fantastic uh, kid who came to even our course who climbed everything. And it wasn't until later that I realized he had two prosthetic legs. So I think sometimes we put our own limitations on who it's also for and who could this course be valuable to. But I think intentional programming is the key. And I think that's the difference between a really quality program and those programs that have a really, really cool wow factor, but don't have too much quality. It's like a lot of, you know, visual appeal, Mm -hmm. but no substance to it. Mm Gab, I want to start to wrap us up here a little bit, but I wondered if you had any final thoughts on the the value and what what camps can get out of investing in this kind of programming. Again, I, I think for me, it's, it's a little bit what I was talking about before is is using um, things like experiential um, learning to help uh, staff members be able to process other aspects on camp. And, um, and for me, that's, that has been our biggest uh, takeaway. And I think I understand camp directors. I think it's tough. It's, it is, it's very tough to be a camp director and you're trying to do good stuff in the sense of trying to build teams, but you also need to show parents, look, we have this cool zip line. This mm-hmm. is a cool camp to come to mm-hmm. because of the shiny, lovely thing. And I think that it, it it's, you know, it's tough because you're, it's, we're looking, camp directors, I think, are constantly struggling with what's on our site that we can showcase the outer um, to our families. And, and what we're in the business is the development of the inner, like, you know, right, the, yeah, the, yeah. the inside. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's always so complicated. And sometimes you you want this facility, this show, like we do team building and this is what we use. Um, and, and so that this 
going back to, to what Phil is saying, the struggle, the struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle is real for camp directors yeah. to, 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 to do that balance and, and going back to the why is, is very important. But at, at the end of the day, um, it does come down to, uh, it does come down to, to being safe. It does come down to training your staff members between the difference uh, of the evolution of comfort zone, growth zone and, and panic zone. Um, the relate teaching staff members, the relationship, that campers have to trust and knowledge and experience all of those things. I, I, I've enjoyed um, teachable moments as a book um, that I find ha- they've broken up great questions. They have a couple of activities, none of it. And they, they do talk about sequencing um, and that's a common, there's, there's three authors, uh, Michelle Cummings and um, Jim came and, uh, and Jennifer Sanfield who've, who've worked on this, this book and it has great questions, and it's a, it's a it's a it's a nice starting point, I think, for some people if they're looking at doing starting and and bringing it into the culture or just getting it your culture back up on on uh, experiential education. Yeah, some resources that I would recommend. Um, one book is if you want a, just an activity book that has some great uh, sequencing and great ideas around the thematic stuff is uh, the Hundredth Monkey um, by Nate Folan. Um, it was a project adventure publication that came out. I think you can find that on flag house. Um, and, uh, and then because it's just got a great amount of activities, it's good uh, bang for the buck there. And then a resource, uh, an online resource is playmeo.com. Um, that is a, an, a, an activity database that has a ton of activities. It's a subscription service, although they have do refresh, um, 25 free activities, but what's nice about that has video. Um, and for those people who struggle with the reading of books and figuring out how the, how the activity looks like, it sounds boring on paper, but it's actually kind of fun. The video on Playmio does certainly help. And then one last resource I would mention is uh, our own book, a book that I helped author called Tinker. Um, and the, the purpose of Tinker is to say that rather than know 100 activities okay, get really good at 10 activities and understand how to adapt the framing to be able to meet the needs of any group. Um, because there are lots of activities that we use on a common level and it's how do we adapt those and frame that. So it's a little bit more advanced thinking around how we use activities, but it has a, a great uh, a, a section on framing and then a good section on reflection. Um, and that sort of like creates those bookmark ends around an activity. And I think that gives you a good next level thinking around how to create effective programming. Um, one thing I would uh, just add and be remiss without saying that if people do want to do, you know, have a challenge course in terms of the amount of training that, you know, I recommend or high five recommends is that you're getting professional training at least every three years. Um, and so that being an investment into what you're, you're uh, into that build is important distinction. And then at least one of those people, or at least one or two people on your staff should be what we would call level two trained, which means you're able to deal with rescue scenarios and mm. stuff at height. Um, and that's the, the, the comparison I often make is that the investment you would put into a waterfront, the amount of money you would spend to get those people adequately trained, you should have that for a challenge course. Don't think you're building a challenge course and don't can't invest in the training, but have that different levels and understand that you need someone who's rescue trained, just like you need someone who's first aid trained. Um, it's like taking a swimming pool 
flipping upside down, tipping all the water out, and then hanging ropes from it. It's the same. It's the same medium in terms of risk. So understanding that from a perspective of what do I need, how much training do I need, that would be our overall recommendations there. Excellent, uh, Joe. Do you have a top book that you'd like to recommend or top resource? Uh, the one that I go back to time and time again is Teamwork and Team Play with uh, Jim Came and yeah. uh, Barry Jolliffe. It is because it um, because it shows it goes over the activity, and then if you need to build anything, that's just in chapter. So in chapter four point one, it's the activity, and five point one is how to build anything you need for that activity. So that and uh, Affordable Portables by Chris Cover is another good one for yep. someone looking to to just get. Yep. those give you the activities. They will not give you the skill to facilitate. <laughs> right. And, yes. and so you can, if you can read and follow along, you can lead an activity, but as Phil was saying, you need to be able to read the room and read the group and, and, and go from there. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you to the three of you. I appreciate your, your thoughts on challenge courses and adventure programming and um, I am grateful for where the, the discussion took us today. That means that it is time to move us on to our tool of the week. Tool of the week. If you are just joining us, if you're a fan of Phil's and you're found Camp Hacker through, uh, through following all the stuff that Phil does, uh, then I want to tell you that our tool of the week is something that we ask each one of our contributors to bring to the table to discuss here. The, the frame for it is that it's a tool that makes you a better camp director. Uh, and I think for, in this instance, I'm going to start us off. Um, a tool that I have been hearing about for a couple of years, unrelated to the, the, the overall theme of the podcast today, but uh, a tool that I think good camp directors can make good use of, is uh, a free web app called Loom, L-O-O-M dot com. And it is a free way to record your screen and uh, and it'll automatically upload to their website and then you can send a link to something. And if you're a camp director who hasn't discovered the value of um, doing a screen recording, um, then I think you're really missing out on um, a lot of ways to make your life easier. Now, you can use screen recordings to help parents get through a really sticky part in your camp registration where everyone gets stuck. You can use it to um, show your staff how to sign into your summer staff portal it can be um, used to build a library of things that, that a new staff member has to learn when they join your organization and they're part of your admin team. And you can have your staff, um, because like most of us, there are people who change jobs every single year. And from one year to the next, maybe the transfer of knowledge doesn't get um, made as well as possible. This is a great tool for that. So I invite you to check out Loom. Uh, Phil, what's your tool? Uh, so my tool is, uh, for those who know High Five, is going to be Ubuntu cards. Um, so they are a product that, that we made um, back in 2011. But the reason I recommend that, from, and it goes in with the conversation we've had in this episode, is it's a very uh, um, a cheap and utilitarian resource that you can use to be able to help create a, an adventure program. So the deck is... $22, um, and there are 
35 activities that we have made that go that start off as a, an activity just for entertainment value, a fun tag-based activity, uh, connection activities, all the way up to initiatives. And I've got to the, to the ability to be able to carry a deck of Ubuntu in my pocket and run a full day's programming. So in terms of a resource, the more I did facilitation, the more I've done team development programming, the smaller my prop bag has become, the less hula hoops I've slung over my shoulder and rubber chickens I've had in my bag. So it's, it's become a, a really great resource for me to be able to utilize. Um, and we have a book that goes with that that gives you a bunch of resources as well. And there's also on our Facebook page, there is a group where we share new ideas and people share their ideas. So it's a community uh, activity as well. So in terms of a creating an adventure program or enhancing, you can't go wrong, I would say, with Ubuntu. Yep, I love Ubuntu also. Uh, Gab, what's your tool? Um, my tool is to do is so without the L is um, so so I got a message from Travis in last November I think from um, on WhatsApp um, as saying like hey are you on this and I responded maybe a week ago uh, saying yeah I am I'm really excited that I have another place where I'm going to be very slow at answering people back um, so so I have. I can, I have a hard time keeping up with, so you can get in touch with me via email, Basecamp, Slack, uh, DM, I get DM messages on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um, I know there's other places, I just can't remember where I get messages, but... People just shouting at you. Yeah, <laughs> that is a norm, um, but in kind tones. Yeah, 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 so, just from across the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you. Um, so, but so the, the point is, is that... One of the things that I do is I try to answer oh, text messages. I try to answer as much as possible, but then there's that little bleep. Like if I do need to answer with a ref to reflect, et cetera, et cetera, um, I sort of my ADD kicks in and my avoidance combines with my ADD, and I just go, "Oops!" And I just don't look. I pretend like I've looked at it, or I barely read it, and then I go on to something else. So I miss that notification. Um, and our 100th is coming up at Waro, not this year, but the next year. I uh, have a couple of other projects that are going on. And I just have so many to-dos and so many people that are contacting me. And I have so many cue cards and post-its and everywhere that I'm now using to-do-ist to, to, to write everything down. Um, and because it's synced to my desktops, both my desktops, my cell phone, I can... I can automatically rate when somebody messages me. I'm trying to get into the habit, even if I don't write them back, that I write in my to-do list, reply to them. You've, you have, you know, opened up that message, you know, check that out later and I assign a time. And the cool thing is that it also has um, plugins. So if you're on Chrome and you're looking at your Gmail, you actually have, you know, a button where it says, add this to your to-do to list and then when you're on to do this you don't have to go back through google uh chrome and find that email you're you, there's a link that already brings you through so it helps you prioritize your stuff it helps you create deadlines it helps you tell you no i can't use this and it's helping me just whenever i have my add moments in my head saying like oh i need to call travis i need to message joe um I can just throw that in there and then continue back in my work. So I'm not obsessing about all the work that I'm not doing. So it's, 
So I'm trying it. I've been working on it for about a month now. It's, it's helping. So there we go. Yeah. That is awesome. Thank yeah. you, Gap. Joe, what's your tool? My tool of the week is called, I'm sharing it for those watching, um, but it is called a wall-controlled pegboard, and it is metal. And um, obviously, this one is orange for those who know me. But uh, <laughs> obviously, what I, obviously. <laughs> the, the reason the reason I initially thought of this is I have a, a wall just off to my uh, right. Yeah. That I wanted to put a something up, and I know that I don't use whiteboards. I don't use a whiteboard enough to pay for that right and <laughs> to, to pay the, well to pay for a magnetic whiteboard okay and okay. so gotcha. and so um, and so it is really this idea that you can have these and the reason i was going to do one orange in the middle and green or one green in the middle and two orange on top on either side because of the sizing um oh my gosh it is just a really inexpensive way to create a to create a um a wallboard so it is a magnetic and i have things stuck to it and i have hooks and and other stuff so yeah that's my tool excellent Sick. excellent can i share my other tool travis sure you have two well, I want to do a reminder, and, and it's up on the screen now, that uh, the Canadian Camping Magazine Archive is fully live now. You, <laughs> yes. are the first, you are the first to hear about it. On Christmas Day, I uploaded the final missing magazine. Mm. Um, and I did it so I could remember Christmas of 2019 for the rest of my life. So all 164 magazines published from 1949 to 19... Ooh, look at that. Uh, to 1989... 88. Um, they're all up there and searchable. And so I searched for rope course earlier. Um, and there's a couple of issues that have rope course in there. I searched for mental health. It just gives us a history. It's a, it, and a usable tool. Just wanted to share that. This is such a gift to, to our camp industry, the work that you did Joe on this. And as, as just a, just a training aspect, I, the amount of things that you can do with this, just having your staff members assigning one or two, of your returning staff members that don't need to learn about the camp day again and ask them to go through this and to find interesting articles that they like and present it to um, your camp. And to show, we forget sometimes that camp staff members don't realize that there's a bigger, there's a larger world out there beyond our own camp, our own little nugget. And the fact that they're part of a legacy, they're part of a history just yeah. knowing that we're standing on the shoulders of the people before us that were part of this. I think it, it just, even if your camp started, you know, 10 years ago, you, you're start, still part of, of, of this culture. And there's, there's some of the articles that I've read that were, you know, I think written in the fifties um, that were talking about how kids today are too, too <laughs> attached to technology and they need yeah. to get into the woods. And yeah, so it's, it's a pretty, I mean, one, I just want to say thank you, Joe, for doing this. It's, it's, it is truly a gift, but the opportunities could, that we can have. I can say not a problem like it just happened, but it took about 20 years uh, <laughs> yep. of little bits of time. The reality is, and the reason I wanted to promote it here is because I know there's tons of people who listen to us. And what we need to do is make sure that this resource is known in universities and colleges 
for mm-hmm. those people studying recreation, for those people who want a history. Um, and because had I known this existed, even in paper form, when I was in university in the 90s, I would have eaten this up like a candy because I went to Trent just before uh, Christmas to finish this this portion of the project. Um, and uh, I was in the Northway Reading Room, which is the, the archives of all things camping in Canada. And it was phenomenal. It was, um, it was great. Well, let me, let me echo Gab and say thank you, Joe, for your investment in the industry. It's awesome. Excellent. Well, I want to thank the three of you for your wise and thoughtful discussion today in the Camp Hacker podcast. I want to remind people that if you um, want to catch up with people that have been been on the show, uh, like Phil and check out High Five, I invite you to go to camphacker.tv slash podcast. Matt does an awesome job of pulling our show notes together. You'll find the links to all of the things that we talked about. You'll find... Um, the High Five website, etc., and uh, at our history as we enter into a, a second decade of podcasting about summer camp with this mm-hmm. crew, um, we uh, there's quite a lot of history in there as well. Um, so thank you all of all of you for being part of that. So Gab, if people want to follow up with you, where do they get in touch with you? Well. Uh- so many places, obviously, but if <laughs> the quickest, the best way to get in touch with me is uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, Gabrielle Rail, Rail with two L's, and you can check out where I work at waro.com, which is O-U-A-R-E-A-U. Thanks so much, Gab. Thanks. And Joe, how about you? If people want to follow me, they can uh, catch up with me at my website, which is yoyojoe.com, Y-O-Y-O-J-O-E, or they can see what I do here at Pierce Williams at campisbetter.com. Do not message me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram if you can find my Instagram handle because I'm not going to get back to you. (laughs) Thanks, Joe, for being here. Not a problem. Phil, we're so grateful that you joined us today and, and we're so open to sharing your ideas and expertise. Thank you. Yeah, thank how, you. How can, uh, how can people follow up with you if they have questions? Yes, if you have any questions about challenge courses, you can email me at pbrown, B-R-O-W-N, at high5the5adventure.org. the number five, adventure.org. I'm happy to answer all questions and every question. Um, if you want a challenge course, we, you know, we build in the Northeast mainly, but you can check out acct.info, oh, sorry, acctinfo.org to find any accredited members, members in your area. And one last plug I will say is if you want to hear more about challenge courses and facilitation, you can check out our podcast just by searching High Five Adventure into wherever you get your podcasts. We have an upcoming episode on 15 Minutes on Parachute Cord, which I know that everyone has been excited, excitedly waiting for. So. I, I have a, a renewed appreciation for para, Parachute Cord <laughs> since I saw the Parachute Cord Baby Yoga um, oh my instructions God. Yes. that, uh, that yeah. came out this week. You posted that, right, on Summer Game no, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> awesome. I think that's going to sell a lot more parachute cord this oh, summer yeah. leading into uh, people are doing arts and crafts. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, again, I appreciate you being here. Do check out the, the High Five podcast. Um, I listened to a few episodes myself and heard lots of uh, Camp Hacker and Go Campo friends on there. So uh, that's pretty awesome. 
All right. So again, go to camphacker.tv slash podcast to find the notes. If you liked what you heard and uh, have time to leave us a, a rating and review, I would invite you to go to camphacker.tv slash iTunes to do that there. And uh, finally, I want to say thank you to um, to Matt, our executive producer and editor who has pulled all this together, who helped us get Phil on the line and uh, get us the privilege of spending some time with him. And uh, so we're grateful to Matt. So I would say one other thing that uh, that I would ask you, if you got some good information about um, running camp from this episode or any other one, um, I would invite you to to share the show. Just take a screenshot of uh, listening to us on your phone, share that to social media or text it to a friend. Uh, it's the easiest way for us and the best way for us to get more people um, involved in the discussion about uh, running great summer camps. So. And that is it. And in the end, thanks for the evening, friends. The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening. Camp Hacker, bringing your world into focus. <laughs>